We're going to read scripture in just a moment. Thank you, Jonathan and choir and orchestra for leading us um, to be the choir. That's what you are, singing, uh, singing your praises to our holy God. I'm going to read um, a couple of passages just very quickly, Nehemiah chapter 3 and uh, the last two verses. We're wrapping up. I'll allude to this in just a moment. And then uh, uh, just a brief passage from the New Testament linking the, the finishing up of Nehemiah chapter 3, the building of the gates, the rebuilding of the gates and the wall, um, walls of Jerusalem, and uh, what we do on Resurrection Sunday, worship the risen Savior. Nehemiah 3, verse 31, after him, Malchikah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster or inspection or judgment gate and to the upper chamber of the corner and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. And then I'm going to jump to the New Testament, Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 30. Paul was preaching to one of the most pagan audiences that he ever had a chance to preach to. And they were all pagan in, uh, in terms of his preaching in Asia and Europe. And uh, so here's what he said to the people at Athens. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day. He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising that man from the dead. Father, I thank You for this Lord's Day. I thank You that... Uh, Today, at least on the liturgical calendar, we can come to what's called Easter Sunday, but I thank you, Lord, that we can find the reality of death and burial and resurrection of our Savior, what that means for us as we finish out the teaching of the gates of Jerusalem. And so, I am thankful for that. I pray that, again, as I pray each Sunday God, help us to put away distractions. There are tons of them. Help us to give to you, at least in these few minutes, that's all they are, just a few minutes, with a razor focus on your Word and what your Word, applied by your Holy Spirit, can do in our lives. And I pray that you would do that. Help me to be clear, and most of all, to give the Scripture that is needed for the need of the moment, for every individual in this room. And so, Father, we thank you and praise you that you will get the glory for this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want you to imagine a person. This, this sounds far-fetched, I know. A person who claimed to be a god a person who claimed to be 
creator of everything around them, a person who promised new life, a person who promised and even said that she had been resurrected from the dead. Now, I threw you with that she, didn't I? I'm talking about the improbability of hearing a story like that today and how foolish it sounds, which it does. I saw a news clip. I didn't see the actual program, a news clip that just blew me away. Jesse Waters. I don't know what you think of Jesse Waters. He was interviewing a woman. It's out in Utah. Don't get any ideas of traveling out to visit, at least this particular place. But this woman was recommending her camp to people where they could come, get this, and they could smoke the venom from toads, T-O-A-D-S, toads. She herself had done that and said that it threw her into an ecstatic, blissful experience where, and she made these statements where I realized that I am a God. I am the creator of the things around me. I experienced near death and resurrection. And I can promise people that when they have this, listen to this, this experience, they can never go back to their old life. And I thought to myself, now, if, if, did anybody else see that little news clip? I'm the only one. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what I thought. How idiotic for anyone to claim that. And then I begin to think back 2,000 years ago to a bunch of guys that had been a part of a religious cult who were going out into a very secular world. They had their religions and all of the rest of that, and all of a sudden they were proposing that there was a man who had been resurrected from the dead. And there was a man who promised new life. And there was a man who said that he was a creator. What do you think the people back then thought about that? You see, today, I'm, by and large, I, I know that. I'm, the old saying is I'm preaching to the choir. I, I know that you came in here because you came to hear something from the Word of God. You came to hear something about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which, let me tell you this, along with his death on the cross and his burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most central teaching to Christianity, but also to all of life. You see, without the cross, we talked about the cross on Friday night. There is no salvation from sin. There is no way into God's presence. But sometimes people stop there, and if they do, they stop short. You see, without the teaching of the resurrection, the work of Christ on the cross is nothing. That's what Paul said just a few moments ago. Because in the crucifixion, our salvation from sins is secured, but in the resurrection, our victory over death is guaranteed. Amen. Let me show you this. This is why I, I, I use these words. I, I hope they communicate. I, I talk 
incessantly about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, and here's why. Paul said it. I, I don't know how many times I've used this verse. Maybe it's the first time that you've seen it, but Paul said, this is the most important thing I t- could deliver to you because it was delivered to me. And again, the three elements there, all three are vitally important. And you can say all kinds of evangelism methods, but if you don't talk about very specifically Christ died. A lot of people die, but it adds here, Paul says, for our sins according to the Scriptures. The first element of the gospel. And then he was buried. He really died. And that's why it's so important to see the third element, that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that is the gospel message. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, that passage that we read just a few moments ago, if Christ is not raised, then our preaching is in vain. If it's just something that, like they said back then, they paid off the guards to say somebody came and stole his body, and, and the resurrection is just a bunch of stuff, then there's, there's no reason to be here. The preaching is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. So, what do we do here today? Here's what we're doing. We're coming to the end of our study in Nehemiah chapter 3. Surprise, surprise. We studied Nehemiah, but we linked it to Good Friday, the crucifixion of Christ, as we ended up with the East Gate. Go ahead and take your handout that we again put in there. For those of you who have not been with us on the back, you're going to see something that I hope is helpful. And I, I, this is sermon number four in chapter three of Nehemiah. We've been working through a study of Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah. And as we came to chapter three, I thought, what, what am I going to do with this? And I, all of a sudden, I began to, to realize Jesus was constantly pointing back, and the apostles were constantly pointing back and say, look, you don't have to look real hard, but if you look seriously, you're going to find Jesus. You're going to find the gospel in so many elements, and in the building of the gates, we see that. And in the back, I've put, I added some things for you, some scriptures and some of the realities of what we've done. We began with the sheep gate. You see that up there on your diagram? Jesus said, you've got to enter by me. That was where the Passover lamb came, we found out, uh, on Friday night, and that's where Jesus went out to Golgotha. Then we come to the fish gate. What's the first step when you become a Christian? Jesus said, follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Hmm, that's interesting. Then the old gate. Let's come back to the old bedrock doctrinal apostolic truths, and then you see the long border wall there because when you become a Christian, it does not guarantee a life of ease. In fact, it will guarantee a life where you go through the ups and downs of life just like everybody else does. But the one promise you have is hope, the hope that you have someone who will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. Because we're all going to experience if the Lord tarries long enough. And that's the hope of the Christian. Then you come on down, and you kind of laughed when I said this a couple of weeks ago. I said every Christian needs to hang out at the dung gate. That's where you take out the garbage. Romans 12, you just take out the garbage every day. It, it, it does Do you guys ever have, I mean, do you ever have garbage that you need to to take out? I'm talking about in your own lives. And get a a, a fresh new filling of the Holy Spirit? Sure you do. Every day, a, a lot of times every day. For me, 
And so we need to hang out there every day. Lord, what do you want me to empty? What do you want me to do to follow you? Then you come around. Look, it turns the corner to the fountain gate. The filling of the Holy Spirit. We've got to have the flow of the Holy Spirit living out of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, which comes to the water gate. He takes the, the Holy Spirit takes the, the word, the water of the word, and he washes us. And he washes us. That's what Ephesians 5 says. He's preparing a spotless bride, and that's how he does it. The horse gate. Kings rode horses into battle. We have the king who has prepared us and equipped us. Ephesians chapter 6, and he takes us into the battle. He gives us endurance. And then two sermons we spent on the east gate, the Lord coming in, the triumphal entry, and then we look forward to the Lord coming again through the eastern gate. And so finally, today, we come to the, to the inspection gate. I don't think many people in our congregation would say something like this. I think some people would. Pastor, wait, 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 wait. I came in here, and it's Easter. And are you telling me you're just going to continue a verse-by-verse study through a book like Nehemiah? And I'm saying, yes, we are. Because it is absolutely essential that we see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is paramount in here, just like in the verse that I read out of Acts chapter 17, and that's going to show up again. So, we've got two gates. You see them on the, on, on the notes because they're connected. The inspection gate and then the sheep gate once again, just like the other night. What is the inspection gate? It's called several things. It's called the muster, not the mustard the muster gate. If you've been in the military or you know military jargon, you know what that means. That's where the people, the army of God is mustered. They, they are assembled together for inspection. And if you've ever been through basic training or any kind of drilling like that from, from the military, you know that you have that call to come and to be inspected. It's called the inspection gate. It's also called the judgment gate. It is the last gate. And it's so fitting. But it does lead, and you see it turns another sharp corner before it goes back to where we began, the sheep gate. You see what I'm going to say at the end is, everything begins and ends with the sheep gate. Because the most important part is, are you in that circle? Now, that's the, that's the picture of the, the, the old city of Jerusalem, the, the covenant people of God. To be outside was just to be one of the nations. And you always wanted to be inside because that was the protection. That's where the presence of God demonstrated by the temple was. And so let's talk for the time that remains. I've got three points. I think they're very, very simple. But uh, we've got three points, and I'll leave these up on the screen in case you want to take notes on this because there is going to be, and this is why it's the last gate. Listen, there will be a final mustering, an assembly of God's people. And let's widen that. It's going to be assembly of all of mankind to stand before the king. It's going to be a global event. We, we see things advertised as global events. Ha ha. 
This is truly going to be a global event. In fact, and I'm not talking about the different kinds of eschatology, the study of last things connected with this, but however you lock this in, this is going to be the consummation of the ages. God has been working a plan since He created everything. All of history has been a part of God's redemptive plan, and the consummation is going to be when He calls together the nations to stand before Him. Are you excited? You should be. You excited, students? Now, see, there's there's a little bit of a mixed feeling there. Oh, now, wait a minute, inspection. I'm not so sure all of this. So let's walk through this to see some of the things that this could lead us to from the Scriptures that will help you be ready for that date. Now, if you're outside of the walls... At the end of this sermon, you've got a a pretty good hunch on what I'm going to encourage you to do. Come through the sheep gate. Don't try to get into the presence of God through the inspection gate. You're always going to fall short. You need to come through the sheep gate because you need to come through the one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm going to encourage you to do that if you're outside of that place where the presence of God is. But if you are a follower of Christ, then here is how you, you can... You can at least prepare mentally and and, and biblically. You can just lay that foundation and think about this often because the day is coming. I was just talking with a brother this morning, brand new neighbors, and they're fairly young. One of them died suddenly, unexpectedly. And and again, all of us will, barring a return of the Lord. So, knowing... Paul said it like this, knowing the fear of the Lord, he was talking to Christians, we persuade men. So let's look at these. There are about three things that I want to talk about this morning. Uh, And here they are. First thing is just, okay, here you are. You're a believer. All right? Non-believers, the only way you can start doing this is to come through the sheep gate, and then you can begin to do what this verse is telling you to do. First thing is inspect everything. Inspect everything. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 17, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Oh, excuse me. Does that say 1 Corinthians 15? Well, it is Thessalonians. I wrote the reference down wrong. I know it's Thessalonians, but I preached through Thessalonians. It took me forever. You remember that? Okay. Let me give you the right reference. I looked at that and I thought, that's not the reference. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. Maybe we'll get the right one with the right one. That's okay. I'm glad I'm saved by grace and not by my correctness getting my slides right. I need to inspect my slides better. Okay, that's okay. Inspect everything. First Thessalonians 5, Paul says this at the end of a list about here are some just some bullets of what we need to do as believers. And he says this, inspect, judge, assize everything in your life and then do what? Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. But how are you going to do that? Because there have always been 
and there will always be all kinds of things out there that that will tell you this is the truth, and that's the truth, and this is the belief you ought to have, and this is the worldview that is the correct one. So how are you going to choose the right foundation for your life that gives you the ability to inspect everything that comes along, everything? It's by the Word of God. That's not new, is it? Where is it on our wall? Right over there, look at that, sola scriptura. The scriptures alone are authority. And so we inspect everything. This is, if I think of it as a, in a military setting, then when, when you are a soldier, you do everything according to the regulations. There are regulations that you have that the people outside whatever branch that you serve may not have, and they may differ even between branches. But you measure everything according to the regulations. That's the way it is, and that's what Paul is saying here. Inspect everything and the things that line up, the things that measure up, you hold on to. The things that don't measure up according to the Word of God, you reject. You abstain. And Paul even calls this evil. You abstain from every form of evil. There are a lot of people who, you know, as I've talked about, and this, this is where I like to start with the witnessing encounter, is what do you believe and why do you believe it? So you've just asked about their worldview, and then what is their foundation for their worldview? Because at some point, you want to share your worldview that there is redemptive history. What is the basis of your worldview? The Bible. That point you're not trying to convince, you're just trying to get them to measure. Because a lot of people don't realize, there are a lot of people who will say, I don't have a one is for everything kind of foundation. Then how in the world do you assess truth? It's pretty much whatever you want it to be on any particular day. You've heard before people say, well, this is my truth. Yeah. Or here's a very, very popular one today, and it's rampant. This is my story. This is my narrative. Now, your story and your narrative are very important. And if I meet you for the first time, I want, to, I want you to tell me your story. I want to get to know you. But that doesn't mean that your story is the foundation for the truth by which I measure my life. Does that make sense? It could be what you've heard at school or maybe what you've heard on TV. Please don't let CNN or even Fox be the final arbiter of truth. It may be from your friends. It may be from social media posts. It may be even from trusted counselors. The question is, how does it measure up with God's absolute standard, His Word? I'm not here today to try to prove to you that this book is the absolute standard by which we measure everything. It just is. I'm willing, outside of right now, to entertain any discussion where you can convince me it's not. People have tried over the last 2,000 years, even longer than that, and they haven't been able to do it. 
Let me share something with those of you who are visiting here today. If you go to church, and I hope you do, I hope your church is a good church, you want to know how, I want to say this right, you want to know how you can tell if your church is at least a beginning point, that, that yeah, this is probably someplace I ought to be. It's when you go to church and somewhere before the pastor preaches, he says, would you open your Bibles? And if he starts with a, a story and continues to tell other stories and other narratives and things like that without, and, and I'm not talking about just throwing in a scripture to support one of his points. I'm talking about open your Bibles and let's walk through the truths. If you go to a church like that, that's a pretty good indication that you may be in the right church. What we're talking about with this, inspect everything, is to hold up everything. Students, listen. Young adults, listen. Median, older adults, we're never too old for this. Right, Ed? Ed's, he's been giving me the thumbs up. I'm glad to see you guys in church today. It's been too long. Amen. But I tell you what, Ed would tell you, you never get too old for this. And he's a military man, so he under, he was a Marine. That's even more than a military man. <laughs> Hold up everything, every thought, every word, every action. Even the places where you think you're right and everybody else is wrong. to the clear foundation of God's Word. I say that to me. Hang on to the good. Beloved, hang on to the good so that you can live out the good. That's what we're going to go to next. What is the good? How do you know it's good? Because it matches God's Word. How do you know whether to reject it or not? Because it doesn't line up with God's Word. Simple as that. Let's move on to the second thing. This is a little bit more focused. Not just inspect everything. We're talking about the inspection gate but inspect yourself. Okay, there are regulations if you're a military man, but you better check yourself. You better check your shoes. Make sure they're shined accordingly. Right, Toby? Okay. Others of you in the active duty, and, and make sure that your insignia, they're all buffed up, and make sure your hair is cut. I'm talking particularly in basic training and, and those kinds of things. But here's the second thing. Inspect yourself. This is really important. We mentioned this verse, I think, last week. Examine yourselves. That word is test. It's the same word. Examine, inspect, judge yourself to see if you are in the faith. See if you're in the army. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. <sighs> As a teenager of about 15 through about age 21, I would have told you that I was a Christian. And I would... I, I think I would have told you I was a Christian for the reasons back then that I heard a lot. Uh, 
Maybe they were different. Maybe they were just my experience. But I would have told you I was a Christian because of something I did to secure a transaction. God had offered me something, forgiveness not to go to hell. And so I had to do something to secure that transaction. And in my case, growing up in a very small, very, very conservative missionary Baptist church, there were several components of that. It wasn't just believing out of your heart. The first thing you had to do was come out of your seat and walk down the aisle. We don't even do that anymore. I've literally had people say, well, how do you get saved <laughs> if you don't walk down the aisle? So I walked down the aisle. I prayed a prayer. I did something that is a mysterious sounding kind of thing. I sure didn't understand it. I asked Jesus into my heart. Was I sincere? I, I think so. But even a casual examination of my life between about 15, 16, and 21 would have indicated that I was not in the faith. The bent of my heart showed itself in my lifestyle. And the fact that I was worshiping myself with all of these activities and not God. Now, it's interesting. I was really meditating back on this. I, I know there were a lot of people, and there are a lot of people in your life that feed into. But I'll tell you, there were two preachers that really, really, during these years, my formative years, that fed into my life, even at the, the time I was in rebellion. And one of those was the, uh, the pastor of the, the church, I'm going to go second with him because we joined this church when I was 16. It was a bigger church, and I, I just didn't, I didn't get involved. I went every once in a while. It was just, wow. And he, all, he, he always would show up at about the, the, the wrong, I, I just, you know, when you're not living for the Lord and there is a figure in your life that you consider a, a, a good and a godly man who cares for you, you really don't want to be around them. Really, I wanted to avoid him, but in a small town like what I grew up in, Fayetteville, Arkansas, there was, I mean, he was always downtown after high school, after I went to school, uh, except athletics, but during the summer, I was always working and walking around downtown, and I would see my pastor, and if he didn't see me first, I would do my best to go to the other side of the street, because if he saw me, He'd always smile. I always thought, what is he up to? He would say, hey, Marty, are you in the battle? And I, okay, here's what we do. We lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm AWOL. I, I may not even be in the army. Ha! The spiritual battle. But I'll tell you this, the, the old-timey preacher, Calvary Baptist Church, a little missionary Baptist church on Maple Street in Fayetteville, Arkansas that I grew up in, and he was an old-timey preacher. I think I've shared with some of you before. Have you ever sat under some of the old-time preachers? Anybody? 
where they, they can sling sweat for five rows. And that's during the announcements. Seriously, everybody wore a coat and tie, but his coat was off, his tie was loosened, his pants were dragging in the back, and he was hoarse by the end of every sermon. But I I remember two verses. I I don't know if it was a sermon or whatever, but during those years that, and I don't even know what happened to him. They had moved, and maybe he was retired, maybe he was dead, but I'm going to tell you that some words that he said from this book rattled in my brain. As long as I was with my friends, I was kind of okay because I was insulated. When I was by myself, the Holy Spirit would bring, and I know that there were people like my mother, my grandfather, who were praying for me, and these words rattled in my brain. Why in the world I remembered of all the sermons that he preached probably that I heard, I remembered these words from Matthew chapter 10 verses 32 and 33. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But he who denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I'm not going to get into the theology of once saved, always saved, and all the rest of that. I believe that, you know. But I'm telling you that when you are away from walking with with God, and there is a verse like that that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your to your mind and your heart. And like I said, I was okay as long as I was surrounded by the noise of my friends. And we've got a lot more noise going on. We can be surrounded with the noise of what's going on with our earphones and with all the other kinds of things other than that. But when I was alone, and that's why it may be important for you, if you're not sure about where you are, you need to inspect yourself. Maybe it'd be just good to get alone and deal with the Word of God. Number three, here's the last thing to inspect. Well, not to inspect, just get ready. I said a minute ago, it's a a done deal. It's already on the appointment schedule. Maybe you think, uh, my outlook, my Google calendar doesn't go that far in the future. Mm, Don't be surprised. You absolutely don't know. And so let me read this Acts 17.31 to you again. God has fixed today. If God has fixed today, do you think He's do you, do you think there's any way that can be altered by me? By you? He has fixed it. It's fixed. It's coming. Un- unless you just wandered in here and you absolutely do not believe the Bible and all the rest of that, and you can walk out and say, Well, I don't believe that. And let me just say this to you with a smile as lovingly as I can. It really doesn't matter what you believe. I'm smiling. God has fixed a day on which he will judge, but he's given judgment to a man. Hmm, I wonder who that might be. I wonder who the gates around Jerusalem have been pointing to all along. He's going to judge the world in righteousness, he has to, by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance. What's the one assurance that Paul says of that man? 
and why it is important that we look at the last gate, the inspection gate, on this day on a Resurrection Sunday. It's because the man who is going to be judging is none other than the King of Kings, the Lamb who came through the Sheep Gate out to Golgotha and who died on Calvary's cross for our sins, was buried, raised, ascended into heaven, and is coming again. He's given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. I, do you guys enjoy going to Easter pageants? I, I don't know if these are just a thing of the past, but I remember going to some musical Easter pageants, Branson, you know, and, and Prestonwood, Preston, I've been to some stuff at Prestonwood, and they always try to show the, the resurrection, and I'm always very appreciative of it, kind of. They put the backlight, they, they put Jesus in, in a white robe, they try to get the cleanest robe they can, put the backlight, they, they've got the fog lights going, and it shows Jesus Going up, you can always see the wires. And that shows, the Bible says he's going to come just as he, he left. So it shows him coming back, still the fog and, and the, the lights and the backlight. And he's glowing and all of that. And folks, I just do not think that does it justice. The coming of the Lord is going to be an incredible thing. And so this morning, I want you to think in two ways, first for Christians, then for non-Christians. If, if everyone here is a following Christian, a Christian following Jesus Christ right now, then you can share some of these other things with your friends. The first thing is this. This is for Christians. You're, you're going to stand before Jesus. And this is very, very important that you hear me on this. Shake out the cobwebs. You will not stand before Jesus in judgment. You will be inspected. That is a guarantee, 2 Corinthians 5.10. We, we, this is very specific, Christians, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due. Now watch this. For what has he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It never says you'll be judged for your sins. Why? Because sins are judged in one of two places. On Calvary's cross, on Jesus, and you have accepted that. And there is now therefore no condemnation for you who are in Christ. You will never be judged for another sin. But you will stand before the Lord Jesus and be inspected for what you have done with the salvation and the life that He's given you. This has to do with rewards. And yes, ample teaching in the Scripture about rewards for those of us who have trusted Christ. We need to understand that. But then there's the other reality. Let's expand this out. Okay? Now look at the difference in not the we, but when the Son of Man comes in His glory. By the way, you're not going to see any wires. <laughs> he, 
He's going to come in his glory and all the angels with him. If one angel could, could cause 185,000 enemies to fall down and be destroyed, imagine what all the angels, that, that's going to be so glorious. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. The word glory is just used a lot here. Before him will be gathered all the nations. In case you don't know what that means, he will separate people. Nations are people. Not just a geopolitical nation, but all people. Everyone. Every, everyone who's ever lived. They will be gathered for... Now, I don't, I don't know exactly the order. I think that all people... And, and he's going to do something very important for, uh, to get believers to the Bema seat, to the judgment seat. Now, watch this. He will separate people one from another, and then he gives a simile. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right. Who are the sheep? Say, I'm a sheep. If yeah, yeah, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a sheep. Okay. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his, his left. I, I, I've really I've thought a lot about what is this, what is this going to look like? How, how's he going to do it? Is Jesus going to get up off of his throne? I mean, there, there are a lot of people out here. Now, he's Jesus and this is, this is an eschatological reality. It doesn't matter if it takes a couple of thousand years. He, he's going to do it. I don't think it's going to take that long. I think it's going to happen pretty much like this. But I, I've wondered, okay, what's that look like? Is Jesus going to come down and say, oh, okay, I, you're my sheep. Come on over here. Uh, sorry, didn't make it. You're, you're over here. Oh, oh okay. I, I really believe, listen, that he is going to be able to identify his sheep then the same way he identifies his sheep now. It is not rocket science. The Bible makes it very, very clear. I, I don't care that all of you basically, I can't tell who's a sheep and who's a goat. But Jesus can. He knows. I don't know if you're going to be sitting with other members of Heritage Baptist when you go into this, this arena of the final consummation, the final judgment. But I think it's going to be as simple as this. What he's going to do then is what he does now. He's going to say, and this is what it is, as a sheep separates the goats, as a shepherd separates his goat from the sheep. How does he do it? He calls his sheep. Do they come? Why? Because they know the shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. They always do. And I give to them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my, my hand. And I just, I believe on that day, he's, all the people, I don't know if they're going to be milling around, you're going to be a part of it. 
And he's going to say, yo, my sheep, come on. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to move over to the right. And I wonder what the goats are going to be thinking. I, I, I don't know. But given some pictures that we have of people who've gone on into eternity and they don't quite have a clue of what's going on, I wouldn't be surprised if the goats say, where are they going? Well, that can't be good. You know what I'm going to say next. That has to be bad. Okay. You knew that was coming? Come on. I'm a granddad. I tell those kind of jokes. I don't know that the goats really are going to have a clue, but here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to, all the sheep are going to be on his right, and he's going to turn to the sheep on his right, and guess where the goats are going to be? They're going to be on his left. They don't have to move anywhere because that's where they are. And the real key to the inspection gate is if you are not hearing his voice now and following him and he came back this afternoon in the middle of your family celebration and your kids running around and collecting Easter eggs and you're ushered into that grand throne room, it's going to be too late. And for those of you who have thought, I'll do it someday. I'll do it someday. I know I need to do it. My parents have dragged me here. My grandparents dragged me here. And I'll do I, I, Yeah, but I've just got this little bit of life to live. I'm not trying to scare you into or out of anything, but I am pleading with you to realize the seriousness of the future event that is on the calendar. And the one way you can know that you are ready then is to be ready today. My sheep are hearing my voice, and I know them, and they were following me. So, how do you do that? How do you get through the gate? I said it at the very beginning, you don't go through the inspection gate. Oh, I better clean up my brass. I better clip my hair, you know, the military kind of thing. I better get uh, so that I can pass inspection. You're not going to be able to pass inspection. There's only one who has, and his name is Jesus. And he went through the sheep gate. That's where the, the Passover lamb came. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's make that personal. Behold the lamb of God that takes away my sin. You believe in him. You go through the sheep gate to get into that circle. You don't want to be out of that circle when the day comes. You want to be in the circle. In Protestant churches, we have very few symbols. One of them is paramount. It's the empty cross. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The other symbol is not just the empty cross, it's the empty tomb. Jesus is alive. Come to the living Jesus. Father, I thank you that on Resurrection Sunday we worship a living Lord. And I thank you that wherever the gospel is proclaimed around the world, 
that people who are stirred by your Holy Spirit, that the Word finds its way into their hearts, they can be saved from their sins and look forward to that day when you come. And we will stand before you. We will hear those blessed words, enter in. God, how I plead with you that you would grant repentance and faith even to those today who have, have heard the gospel here and around the world, and you would grant saving faith to them so that they would come into the family and become followers and worshipers of you, the living God, through Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that. Now, bless us as we sing this final song and then go out. I pray if there are any who need to remain and talk about this, Lord, please let them seek out a, a person that they believe is a Christian and sit down and talk about these eternal matters. Father, thank you. Thank you for all of these who have come today. Bless them richly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.